This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Think for a moment of, of people that you like or love. Um, it, it's just it's good to have friends and family, uh, lovers. If, if any of those people asked you to, to do a favor, It'd be pretty easy. I think most of the time, it'd be a joy to just, yeah, you want me to do something? Sure. Okay. Now think of people that are not so easy to love or like. Okay. They're more of a challenge. The difficult people. Or, you know, maybe there's a group. Why is that? Maybe they've done hurtful things. Maybe part of the problem is it's, it's not just something in the past. They keep doing it over and over. Okay? They're challenging that way, they're, or they're just different from you. Maybe they're an opposite. So in terms of you know, seeing eye to eye with that person, no wonder you don't get along. Jesus came for, for those people, for, for the hard to get along with people. Now, he came for you and I as well. And, and I understand this, this contrast is not as dramatic as I'm necessarily making it out to be. I think sometimes we trade places. But on the surface of things, at least, I, I think I'm pretty easy to get along with. And from the bit that I know of you, I think you're pretty easy to get along with. But... To reach out to people that are hard to get along with, see, that is a bit more of a stretch for me. Okay? That's more of a challenge. And for Jesus to come, not just for easier people to get along with like us, but for people that he knew from the get-go would reject him, I, it just takes more for me to process, why would he do that? John 1, that we didn't read, said he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. And the passage that we did read in Philippians 2, 
God, he set aside all his, his rights as God, takes a, the form of a servant, but even humbling himself to the point of death. And he knew that ahead of time. And he came on purpose for people that would reject him, even to the point of killing him. Okay. To me, there's this phrase when, when you uh, do a speech, begin with the end in mind. Well, Jesus began, you know, baby in a manger kind of thing, with the end in mind. He knew what was going to happen, and he still came. Okay. To me, we're, we're going to talk about incarnation, God coming in, in human flesh, baby Jesus. We're going to talk about incarnation this morning, but that's the whole scope of the incarnation, with, with even that end in mind. I want to look at it in two Aspects. One is, what was it like for Jesus to come? And then what, what implications does the incarnation have for us? And I really think this is where some of the punchline is going to head toward. The incarnation is closer to you and I than I think we probably realize, at least a lot of times. I don't think we put ourselves there. So that's where we're heading. So first, what, what was it like for Jesus he, he did come tangibly, physically, historically. There's documents. He, he came to this earth. This world matters and still does matter to Jesus, this physical world. Okay? Now, it's a broken world. It, it's not the original creation. But even in its brokenness, it matters to Jesus. And he came in the midst of that to, to turn things right side up, to change things. He didn't create, he didn't start out with blindness. He started out with sight. He hates mental illness. He hates suffering. He hates evil. And he said, I'm going to get involved and experience it and change it. This world matters to him. The last time I spoke to a group here, it was at Leroy Hayden's funeral. There was maybe 300 plus people here, and I said, in the context of a funeral, and there's there's big picture of Leroy and, and his urn and so forth, that, that death doesn't have the last word. And it really doesn't. It is true. And all those things that we just wish weren't a part of our world, the, the suffering and the blindness and the hurt and the poverty and the injustice and all that, that's not going to have the last word. God is going to undo all that. And so he came and he modeled sacrificial love. He modeled what it's like to, to change this world and make it right. He wants to restore it. The end of the Bible is there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So salvation is more than just some, it's not just a private me, myself, and I, forgiveness of sins. God's got a bigger picture where he's going to remake the, the whole world. And all those things that we wish weren't a part of it are going to be made new. And in addressing the problem, he didn't, he didn't keep the world at an arm's distance. Okay? In a sense, he rolled up his sleeve and got involved. I think of, okay, Christmas. He could have taken the easy road, but he didn't. 
He could have taken maybe the path of least resistance, but he didn't. Okay? He could plan it any way he wanted. He could have planned Mary and Joseph. Okay, let's put them up in the Captain Cook Hotel. Let's have reservations at Providence and, and all that. Or whatever the equivalent was, you know, in Palestine. And he didn't. He purposely had them come during a census when he knew everything is going to be booked up, sold out, and they're going to have to scramble. And I, I really think that some of our descriptions of, of uh, Christmas and Nativity, I just think they're cleaned up a little bit too much in a way. And probably Mary and Joseph, when they came, maybe the stable was just a shallow cave. And they, they've just got domestic animals in a little cave just outside the, where the inn was. And if it came today, it might not have been a whole lot more different than, okay, how in Alaska we make things out of tarps, and that's kind of a temporary, it, it works. And, you know, so little baby Jesus in, I think it is a little bit more like that. And, okay, let's see if I can get a, a picture up here. There we go. I don't mind art. Well, I like art. But I tried to find pictures of the nativity that, that I thought maybe described a little bit more what it looked like. There's something about this. If, if Mary and Joseph have just traveled from Nazareth on unpaved dirt roads, and they're either walking or riding a donkey. And I'm guessing donkeys smell like donkeys, <laughs> right? And that kind of gets on your clothes and that when you're riding on them or walking with them. And they get to Bethlehem. There's no place, so they have to go where the animals are, which, you know, animals aren't known for being tidy housekeepers, but there they are. I don't think giving birth is a tidy process, okay? So I just think that, that their clothes and if you, we could smell an image, I just don't think it would be so neat and clean and I think it would be dirty and sweaty and wrinkled and other things I won't, you know? My whole point is when, when Jesus came to this real world that he still values and he's going to start making things right, it was a, a dirtier, messier process. Okay, that, That's my point on that part. J.B. Phillips wrote a, a real interesting story called The Visited Planet from the perspective of an angel. Jesus coming to earth, but what, what would an angel think of that kind of experience? I'm just going to read just a piece of the story. Once upon a time, there was a very young angel. He's being shown around the splendors and glories of the universe by a senior and experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to get tired and a little bored. He'd been shown whirling galaxies, blazing suns, infinite distances in the deathly cold of interstellar space. 
And to his mind, there seemed to be an awful lot of it. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small, rather insignificant sphere, turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had just seen. I want you to watch that one in particular, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied the senior solemnly, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You you don't mean visited by... (laughs) Indeed, I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and perhaps not overly clean, has been visited by our young Prince of Glory. And at these words, he bowed his head reverently. But how? asked the younger one. Do you mean that our great and glorious Prince with all these wonders and splendors of his creation and and millions more that I'm sure I haven't seen yet, went down in person to that fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? It isn't for us, said the senior a little stiffly, to question his whys, except that I must point out to you that he's not impressed by size and numbers as you seem to be but that he really went, I know. And all of us in heaven that know anything know that. As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose he could visit them? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. You don't mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do, and I don't think he would like you calling them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up to be like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Soon we're going to, you know, the service will be over and we'll head out and the kids in the rock, kids are going to be out and we're going to be mingling with with the children. How does it change things when you're interacting with children, whether, you know, waist high, give or take, how does it change things if if you stoop down and you look at, (laughs) and you look at them in the eye? How does it, besides the fact that it might be hard to get back up again, okay, doesn't it seem to emphasize you're interested in them, okay? You want to pay attention to what they have to say. God stooped down to our level to pay more attention, to experience this world 
that we experience in, in all the hurt and pain, it, just all of it. And to start setting the wrong right and to live that example that, that, that we're to follow. And so when he, okay, Jesus is known for doing miracles, right? And we say, well, that's out of the ordinary. That shouldn't happen. He heals the blind man or the, the, the dead are raised. And yet, rather than it being contrary to the natural order, he is setting things right. God didn't create blindness, he created sight. God didn't create death, he created life. When Jesus came on our level, he started turning things around the way they are supposed to be. And he came on our level. That's the incarnation. God with skin on in, in just the real nitty-gritty world that we live in. I've already done some Christmas shopping. And I, in the midst of walking around the stores, I also kind of think of what's going on inside me. And I am not above greed and coveting. I, I want more. Okay. Whether I should or shouldn't, that's a different thing. <laughs> but, but that's what's going on inside me. And then, I, you know, I knew the sermon's coming up in the incarnation. What am I going to say on Sunday? And Jesus came in, in utter poverty. And, and I'm feeling this dissonance inside me. My wants and his example. And it is a perpetual challenge. Okay. So that's kind of the nitty-gritty of, of Jesus. God was skin on coming into the, the dirt and the reality of our world. So what implications does that have for us? Okay, Because Jesus isn't here right now. And I wish he were. I've, I've always wished I could have lived in the time in history when he walked the earth, but at least temporarily, he's not here now. Okay? He'll, he'll come again, but there's, there's an interim period. Or maybe is he here? In, in a different sort of way, is Christ still here? The Bible says we are, if, if we're followers of Christ, we are the body of Christ. This might be a little over the top if you don't like you know you've seen these uh, little visuals of the human body and you can take out the different organs and all that kind of stuff so but it stay <laughs> but but we're his his body i mean that's pretty physical tangible Last Sunday, if you were here, you at least had the opportunity to be anointed as a son of God or a daughter of God. And I recall, again, thinking while I'm doing this, is this, is this an overstatement saying somebody is the you know, son of God? <laughs> I mean, I think of Jesus, right, son of God, and I'm anointing a, a guy or a daughter of God. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> 
We're his children. We're heirs. That's the language the Bible talks about his children. We, we are his body. We, you and I, are present tense. Whether we're a good example or not is beside the point. We are his, Jesus' body. We are God with skin on to our world. Okay? I really think the incarnation is that close. It, it's not just a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. I think by application is a minimum, if not even more tangibly, we are his body, the incarnation in our world. Um, St. Teresa of Avila she lived, I don't know, 1500s, wrote a poem uh, called Christ Has No Body Now on Earth But Yours. Where do I point this thing? This isn't working for me. There we go. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on the world. Okay? Yours and mine are the feet that, with, with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Okay? This is a very real statement. Christ has no body now on earth but yours and mine. If our neighbor is going to see Christ... I wanted to start saying he, it's going to start with you. Everything always starts, or beginning, middle, end, it always starts with God's Spirit doing a work in someone's life. But God always uses, or often uses, people. So if your neighbor is going to see in a, in a more tangible way Christ, he, she will see that image of Christ in you, for better or for worse. As imperfect, as inconsistent, and yet God uses that. 1 Corinthians 12, that, that image of a body, okay? And everyone has a certain part. Some are on the outside, and it's pretty obvious. A whole bunch of people like to be in the background. I don't want to be visible. And all those organs on the inside are extremely important. We can't do without any of them. We're the body of Christ. That's how incarnation, I think, works in our world. God with skin on. It's a huge, tall order to say, wow, we're, <laughs> we're representing Christ to our world. And yet everything that we've been asked to do, Christ has already modeled for us. He's already modeled humility. He's already modeled forgiveness. He's already modeled unconditional love in the face of rejection. I hope, I hope we study, and I've tried to do this, it just kind of is an ongoing thing, try to study how Christ lived on earth. Because for being someone with a perfect standard, okay, God, right? Perfect standard, yet he was so attractive to people that had nothing to do with 
at least on the surface, I think, nothing to do with God or the church or the temple, whatever. But he was attractive. And then when I look at this, it's, he treated people with compassion. Like a doctor would treat a, a hurt patient, he's got compassion. He didn't shame people. I mean, even adulterous people, he didn't shame them. He came in grace, but you know he also came, grace and truth. And there was, he had the skill to know how to use each one, because he could call a spade a spade. <laughs> and there, you recall a time where he takes a whip to people in the temple and he throws them out and he says, you're supposed to be praying in this place. Instead, it's more like Saturday market. Study how, how Jesus lived so we can be attractive like he was attractive. And I know <laughs> it's not quite that easy. I hope a lot of times it is, and I hope for the most part, Christians can be attractive. But we can do everything right and set this godly example and still be rejected. And yet, isn't that incarnation? If, if you think of the whole scope of it, we can do everything right and still face rejection. Jesus came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. And, and the baby in the manger, you can't see that down there, but, you know, shortly after his birth, they have to flee to Egypt for his life. Okay? And we can live a Christ-like life and still face rejection. And I know, you know, we've talked about this in the Thursday men's group a little bit. How long do you face rejection before you say, enough of that? I'm not going to go there again. And I know there is a place for healthy boundaries, you know, for safe settings. And yet I also read examples where Jesus allowed people to take advantage of him, and it's complicated. Incarnation is is messy and dirty and risky and complicated. But we're, we're called to be faithful. We, we don't control how people react. But for our part, we're called to be faithful. Incarnate God with skin on in our corner of Eagle River, Anchorage. You'll hear a little later today, you've already heard about Neighborhood Gift. Neighborhood Gift is nothing more than God with skin on to our neighbors. And I doubt it's particularly risky as things go. <laughs> and I'm not there yet, and none of us is there yet, and yet that is... It's an ongoing challenge to reflect and model and incarnate Christ to our world. And even though we're not there yet, I hope we try. And even more than that, I hope we want to try. And the difference between the two, if we're just trying, it, it, it might be nothing more than jumping through a hoop for God. 
And that's pretty artificial, and it's going to grow old. If we want to try, you know, be Christ-like and model him, if we want to try, we're saying more humbly, God, (laughs) mold me and use me. Okay? And even before we're the finished product, God starts using us. That's a little strange. And he does. So, summary. Incarnation is God with skin on. And Jesus came in the dirty, real world to start making the wrong right and bringing change, motivated primarily by unconditional love. And in the interim period while he's away, okay, until he comes again, we are the body of Christ. May we represent him well. Amen. I, I want to pray, but I want all of us to pray. And I want to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to pause thinking of incarnation and what's it like to live out the body of Christ in our world. I want us to pause after, let's see, our Father in heaven, help you in the name. Thy kingdom come, thy thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. (laughs) After on earth as it is in heaven, I want us to just pause and think, okay, what does that mean for me? And then I'll start us up back again in that prayer. Let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Continuing, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.